Hello, and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. All throughout this time of quarantine, I've come to appreciate even more those who work in the service and medical fields. And one of those amazing people includes a nurse I know from my home parish. Emily Podizek is a nurse who works in a couple different departments and has lately been doing a lot of work in the high acuity unit at a hospital in Surrey, BC, where a lot of the COVID-19 patients are treated. And in this episode, I talked to Emily about her faith life, how she got into nursing, and what the reason is behind her constant smile. Emily. Hi Rachel. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for joining me on The Feminine Genius. I was wondering, first and foremost, if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and just share a little bit about what you do right now. Sure. Yeah, my name is Emily and I work as a registered nurse on the front lines. Because I'm casual, I work on a few different units. So the main unit I work on is the high acuity unit, which is also the COVID cohort right now. And I also work in the cardiac department as well as terminal medicine and surgical stuff. Awesome. Okay. Was nursing always the thing that you wanted to get into or was there something else that you had on your heart and then God pulled you in a different direction or school pulled you in a different direction? I was always interested in the medical field and interested in service-related jobs. I knew I didn't want an office-type job or something that I was sitting or not being mobile. I like using my hands and interacting with people. Even though I'm a bit of an introvert, I do like socializing with people, and I do enjoy the reward of helping people. So originally, when I was younger, I really wanted to become a doctor. And I had that in my mind for the longest time since I was elementary school till the beginning of high school. I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to be a general practitioner and work from an office and blah, blah, blah. Then when I got to high school, I realized how much schooling doctors have to go through. And I was like, uh, yeah, well, I also want to be a mom and have lots of kids. And yes, it is possible to be a doctor and be a mom, but I wanted to not work full time when I was a mom. So I looked at other jobs where I could be part-time when I became a mom. So then my mom suggested nursing and I looked into it and I was like, yeah, that's actually a pretty good job. And it's only a bachelor's degree. So I only need to go to school for four years versus, like, I don't know, 12 plus years. To be <laughs> so I was like, perfect. <laughs> and um, yeah, lots of hands-on and I get to work with people and I get to use my love language, which is acts of service. So yeah, I found it was a really good fit for me. And I really appreciate too, just the fact that, you know, even from a young age, you were already thinking ahead to a potential vocation, like down the road as well about motherhood, um, and then how you could really 
in the interim or even like as you're planning for the interim how you could really allow for that and make things work so I really appreciate that that's so beautiful (laughs) thank you (laughs) (laughs) do you mind sharing a little bit about your personal faith journey and how you've journeyed with God to get to where you are now sure so I was born pretty much into a Catholic family I was baptized when I was a month old and my faith journey pretty much started from there. So I went to catechism in elementary school. I went to public school, but I went to catechism every Wednesday night from kindergarten to grade seven, and then confirmed to grade seven. And then my personal faith journey grew as I joined youth groups and was started getting involved with the church and volunteering in youth group activities and then young adult activities. And that's how it started to grow. Yeah. So you were mentioning that like you're working in a high acuity unit, which where you are right now, like that is the COVID cohort. So we know that right now we're in the middle of something that's really crazy, certainly very difficult, I can imagine. What has it been like to work on the front lines, like when you're there working in high acuity or even like working with in other units and whatnot? Mm-hmm. It's definitely challenging. And I definitely noticed that a lot of the staff are more stressed than usual. There's been a lot of changes happening and changes for a lot of people can be stressful, especially for people who are used to doing the same thing every day or have a certain routine. And then all of a sudden it's changed around and our unit just flips upside down because now we're taking more COVID patients versus the regular kind that we get. And we're shuffling patients around the hospital so that we can utilize these isolation rooms. And so some nurses are moved to different floors where they're not used to working and we're uh, working with different people that we're used to working with. So there's been a lot more stressors for sure. And there's also been a lot of fear. And I found that in March in particular, there was a lot more fear going on in terms of having the appropriate PPE and that sort of thing. And how was this virus transmitted? Because there wasn't quite enough data out yet. And we're still getting a lot of information updates daily, pretty much, what to do and how to organize ourselves. So that's definitely been challenging. And then for me, because I work in the high acuity unit, we were all expected to upskill. So basically what that means is if you are high acuity trained, then you have to upskill to work in the ICU just in case we don't have enough intensive care unit nurses that they would utilize the high acuity nurses to kind of fill in or buddy up with the ICU nurses. So I basically had a crash course on ventilators and how to care for critically ill patients because in high acuity, we don't use ventilators. So that was the main thing we had to upskill on. And usually it's four months program that we do to upskill into that role. The crash course I did was approximately 26 hours worth of content in clinical. So it was oh my gosh. a crash course. <laughs> yeah. But we're not expected to completely fill that role. We're just expected to kind of buddy up with those nurses or fill in and help them. We're not expected to completely fill that role to the scope that they do. Wow. I can imagine. Yeah. If it is a four month program, kind of like with, with anything, like if you have four months worth of content and you have to condense that into 26 (laughs) hours, what was that like to just kind of go through and know that even though the whole weight of doing the duties of an ICU nurse wasn't totally falling on your shoulders, 
but really to take in all that information, how did you feel? Like, what was that like? It was kind of overwhelming at first. They did simplify the course quite a bit and they knew that it was going to be a crash course. So they didn't give us all the content that they normally give. So basically they focused on the ventilator piece. They didn't focus on all the other bits and pieces that we would normally learn. So that was our main focus. And that kind of helped to ease a lot of the anxiety around that was just focusing on just the ventilators. And we had an RT come and teach us for a few hours, just a respiratory therapist. Mm -hmm. And they know a lot about ventilators because that's their main job is respiratory things. So that was really helpful. And then we had one shift buddied up with an ICU nurse. And we were basically supposed to learn about the ventilators on that shift, but you could do as much as you wanted to. So Mm -hmm. my educator suggested that I take on the entire workload of that patient so that I could get a feel of what it would be like. And so I did. And I was really nervous at first because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have an ICU patient. Yeah, like, how's it going to go? But it actually went okay. And I had the support of the nurse there with me. So if anything, you know, were to get overwhelming for me, then I could just ask for help. So it was nice having that opportunity to kind of dive in, but have that support there with me. For sure. Thank you for just being like ready and willing and like yourself and all of your other teammates, just because. You know, as we are hearing, there is so much need for things to either get like retooled or you need to take on new skills or learn new things in a very condensed amount of time. So that's just really incredible. So thank you for just being able to do that. When you think back to maybe just as all of this was really getting started, do you remember what you were feeling when you first started hearing that a lot of things are going to change? This pandemic is really starting not really knowing what it could look like. Do you remember how you felt in those moments when you first started hearing about it? My very, very first thoughts about it, like before things really spiked was, oh, it's just like the flu. Why are people freaking out about it? And I didn't really understand what all of this fear was about. It was up until Italy got hit that I realized that, oh, like if a lot of people get sick, there's not enough ventilators. The hospitals will be overcapacitated and we won't be able to care for any other patients who are coming in who require ventilators or intensive care. And then it hit me. I realized, okay, even though I might not be affected by this virus personally, like my health will probably be okay. In general, if there's enough people that get sick, we won't be able to care for everybody. So that's when I realized that we really have to contain this because our hospitals are already, you know, pretty full as they are. Even though we have a lot of empty beds most of the time, we don't have a lot of staff. So a lot of beds in the hospital are not funded. So basically, even though like on the announcements, they say, oh, we have this many beds available. We don't necessarily have the appropriate staff for them. And that concerned me quite a bit. So then there was fear over like, okay, who's going to fill these roles? So then there was a lot of shuffling around that happened and they stopped the elective surgeries. So then they redeployed those staff over to our unit to help out, which was good. And then when March came, like mid-March and they started closing the schools, that was like another level of realization. Okay, this is bad. Like if they're closing schools and they're sending people to work from home, things are getting pretty bad. So I was worried that we would be like Italy. And there was fears in the hospital of staff talking about, oh yeah, by next week, we're going to be, have to turn and be turning people away and saying, sorry, we can't treat you because 
well, you're too old and we're only treating young and healthy people who have a chance. And I was like, oh my goodness, what if my parents got sick because they're technically over 60 and like, what if these people got sick, but they probably have a good fighting chance to live, but they'll maybe be turned away because of certain criteria. Right. So I was kind of worried <laughs> about us having the same situation of Italy. But then as the weeks went on, the fears started to dissipate a little bit. Like there's still that anxiety level, but I don't have that fear that will get as bad as Italy anymore. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Praise be to God. I mean, just as we're recording this, we're still very much in the thick of it, but certainly it just seems like you were mentioning earlier, every day there's new information. Things can change, but for the most part, like I am very grateful for all the people who are working on the front lines, either in medicine or elsewhere, just doing incredible work. When it comes to something like this, which is totally unprecedented, and I'm sure, you know, maybe when you were studying to become a nurse, perhaps you never really thought that this could ever happen in your career, let alone maybe so soon. What has kept you going in terms of your faith? Mm -hmm. I found what's kept me going is really going back to why did I become a nurse in the first place? Because technically I could just stop working right now and just take a few months off or a year off if I was financially stable. I could just not work for a bit and then come back when this pandemic is over because I'm not, I don't have a permanent position. I have the ability to do that and the health authority would not be able to penalize me for that as long as I met my 400 hours a year as a casual. Mm-hmm. But something wants me to go to work. There's this motivation inside me that's saying, no, like I want to go to work. I want to help people. This is where I'm needed the most. Why would I back down now? And it got me thinking, like, why did I become a nurse in the first place? And it's because I have this strong desire to help people. And I have this strong desire to be in this role as a nurse. And I've always had this strong calling to be a nurse. As soon as I discovered (laughs) what a nurse was, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. And it's been ingrained in me ever since that this is what part of who I am. and something that I want to do and I really feel like God has put me here for a reason and it's actually a good thing that it's happening early on in my career because I'm younger and healthier and have a little bit more energy and because I'm not married I have time to work more hours and I don't have to worry about isolating myself from my family because I live alone so there's a lot of good things that are the reason why this is happening now in my life And it's also not so early in my career that I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't even know how to be a nurse, let alone like be a nurse in a pandemic. (laughs) So at least I got the nursing part done. I've been working now for four years. So yeah, this kind of threw my confidence out the window because I was like, yeah, now I know how to be a nurse. And then all of a sudden this pandemic came and I'm like, I'm learning how to be a nurse all over again. (laughs) A bit of a humbling experience, yes. Yeah, and I love that you called it that, like a humbling experience, just because I feel like no matter what field you're in, you know, medicine or otherwise, there's always new things to learn and we will never learn it all. And I think that's the beautiful thing too, is that it's okay because we are constantly encouraged to learn and we're we're always encouraged to like put our strength in the Lord, so to speak, because he will guide us through. Have you found different ways to share or practice your faith as you have been working as a nurse, whether like now in this pandemic or even like throughout your practice so far? Mm-hmm, for sure. 
And definitely when I have the time, it's a lot easier to share my faith. And some patients will even ask me like, oh, are you a Christian? Or they'll ask me like, oh, you have such a beautiful smile. Like, why do you smile so much? And sometimes I get these questions and I'm like, oh yeah, I smile because I know God loves me. I know he put me here for a reason. And I like my job because I know I'm serving a purpose. I've also had a few times where I've prayed with patients. I've had someone who was dying of cancer. She asked me to pray with her. She had lost her prayer, actually. And she had it written down on a piece of paper and she wanted me to pray it with her, but she couldn't find it. And I helped her look for it, but we just couldn't find it. And even another nurse came and looked through the laundry for her and which is so sweet, but we couldn't find it. And so I said, that's okay. Like, I'll just say a prayer if that's okay with you. So I prayed with her. And then after saying what I wanted to say and allowing the Lord to work through me, then I paused and just waited and then she started praying for me and I thought she was just going to, you know, pray for her well-being as well. But she started praying for me and my job as a nurse. And I thought that was really thoughtful. And it really struck me because she was in such a place of deep suffering and mm -hmm. she still had that capacity to reach out and love someone else and pray for someone else and to think of someone outside of herself. And I thought that was so beautiful because for me, when I'm suffering, all I can think about is my own pain or my own grief, whatever I'm going through. Like, that's all I can focus on. I don't have time or energy to reach out to other people. I'm just focused on, like, my own suffering. So I thought that was really, really, really beautiful, how she was able to just put her suffering aside and just pray for someone else. I really feel like her prayer was answered because I feel God working through me day to day. And some days I feel like, I'm just working and I'm just doing my own thing. And then it hits me like, oh yeah, I'm here for a purpose. This isn't just a job. This isn't just me going through the motions. Every single thing that I do is making a difference. You know, even if it's just helping someone to the bathroom, like it's a huge deal because I'm helping someone in their time of suffering. I think there's a lot of graces to be received at that time for the patients and for me. In times of suffering, that's when a lot of people start thinking about what life is about. What's mm -hmm. their purpose in life? Like if they're at the end of their life, they realize, what am I here on this earth for? And they start to question if there is a God or if there is a God, is he here right now? I've had patients who are suffering and have told me, like, I don't know how people go through this without faith. Mm. And one patient told me, he said, I believe in God and he's the only one who has helped me get through this. I don't know how other people get through this sort of suffering without faith. And I was like, you're right. Like, <laughs> I don't know how people do it because I don't know how I would get through my own personal suffering if it were for God. And I find suffering has become something more beautiful and something more meaningful because I've seen it and I've seen people get through it and I've seen mm -hmm. people's faith get stronger. I've seen families come together more, pray together in the hospital and they'll pray the chapel of divine mercy together. Not right now, obviously, because it's not on visitors, but in the past I've seen families pray together in the room. And I find that really touching when suffering unites people and their families. Mm -hmm. that, that is so beautiful. Yeah. And I think just the, the many opportunities for you to either share your faith because someone asked or someone willingly 
volunteered that to you. I feel like that is just such a beautiful reminder, especially like you were saying, you know, hospitals sometimes, or maybe most of the time, are associated as places of suffering and pain, and there is so much going on. But to be reminded that there is so much that can be redeemed, there's grace that can be found. If we take the time to listen or slow down, like we really can learn so much. So thank you for that beautiful reminder. It's something that I feel like, you know, I'm totally the same. If I'm going through something, I'm just like, oh, like, woe is me. Like, just help me, God, like help me. Um, when it comes to, you know, just seeing like yourself as like a nurse, as a Catholic nurse, as a nurse who has a feminine genius, how have you seen God work through you and how have you seen your feminine genius develop over this time? I've definitely seen him work through me through my love language of service. I find that it's definitely a gift because I know for some people it can be quite taxing when patients ask them for little things. Oh, can you refill my water? Or can you move my table closer to me? Or can you get me a warm blanket? Or, you know, these tiny little things, which can be quite taxing, especially if you're having a really busy day. But for me, what has given me energy to do those things is realizing how important that little task is for that person and realizing that that warm blanket is an act of love for that person. And that's one of the biggest comforts someone can have in the hospital is a warm blanket. Just being reminded of those little comforts that I can give to my patients helps me to have the energy to provide them with those tasks. I've noticed that God has gifted me with a smile. And even if I'm really stressed, and even if I'm really nervous and I don't know what I'm doing or I've just been moved to another floor or my patient's not doing well, I notice that I still smile. I know that is a gift from God because <laughs> I'm not feeling happy at that moment. <laughs> I'm feeling quite stressed. But that is a gift because God is reflected through that smile. And it allows people to talk to me, to open up to me. It allows people to uh, work together with me when Maybe it's a stressful situation and allows me to just let God take over because I realize that I'm not in control. And sometimes it's a super busy day and I can't get things done that I had in my mind to get done. And I just have to give it up to God and say, well, <laughs> at least I gave my smile today. At least I gave something. Right. And for listeners, I mean, you know, Emily, like I've known you for, I guess, a few years now and we go to the same parish. So certainly I can attest to that because, you know, when we were still able to go to mass in person, like it would be one of the, the things that I would see quite often every Sunday, just given the fact that our families sit in the same part of the church. Yeah. So of course it's like, it would be a smile that I encounter every week and sometimes elsewhere, like if I bump into you or if we're at a an event together. So thank you for your smile. It mm. certainly is a comfort and a joy to see. Mm. And I hope that listeners can hear the smile, even <laughs> if they can't see it just yet. Yeah. As we close, um, just before we pray, for all of us who are trying to live our lives and we're trying to create some sense of normalcy, when it comes to any advice or any wishes that you have as a healthcare practitioner, what would you like people to know? about being responsible during this time? 
I think the most responsible thing is to follow the direction from our health directors because those change daily. So if I tell you advice now, it could be different advice tomorrow or next week. So I think just following the advice of our health director and trusting that they have the information to make this, these plans and these decisions. And we just have to trust them. And similarly to our faith, we have to trust in God and trust his plan for us, even if we don't see that it's the most logical thing to do because sometimes God asks us to do crazy things and we don't understand. <laughs> so I think it's important to to trust whatever plans that they have and to trust that they know that this is the best thing, even if none of us really have the knowledge of the future of these um, implements will work or if they'll take hold as we expect them to. I think it's just important to follow the leadership as best as we can. Yeah, take care of yourselves. Make sure you <laughs> keep connected with people, even though we're socially distancing. Doesn't mean that we can't be social with people. It just simply means physical distancing, but we can still stay connected with people. Well, Emily, thank you so much. And just to close, would you mind leading us in a closing prayer? Yes. Awesome. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Jesus Christ. God, our Father, come into our hearts. Allow us to hear you, to feel you, to receive your graces, O Lord. We ask that you may be with us, you may guide us and keep us safe. We pray for the world that we may be able to overcome this pandemic, that you may use the people who have these wonderful talents and knowledge and skills to somehow find a cure or a solution to this. Lord, we pray that we may be able to trust in you in these difficult times and that in these times of suffering that we may not put the suffering to waste, but that we may utilize this suffering as something valuable to us and understand that there's deeper meaning behind the suffering and that something good will come out of it. We ask this in your most holy name as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. And St. Therese of Lysia, pray for us. Amen. Emily, thank you, and thank you for all the work that you do. It, it definitely doesn't go unnoticed, and I speak for myself and all of our listeners. And I say thank you for being a nurse and for just saying yes to the will of the Lord. Thank you so much. It means a lot to be appreciated and to be seen so much. Thank you again to Emily Podizek for joining me on the Feminine Genius Podcast today. Please continue to pray for all those who work on the front lines, and let's also continue to pray for the healing and renewal of the world. You can find the Feminine Genius Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And as well, if you love what you're listening to, I would love it if you shared it with a friend or left a review on Apple Podcasts. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at FemGeniusPod. And all this information and more can be found on our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We will talk to you soon, and God bless always.